Hello, and welcome to the Story Wagon Podcast, where we talk about life, story, and spiritual health. I am your host, Chaplain Jose Martinez, and you can learn more about this podcast at our website, storywagon.org. You can also show us your support on our Patreon page so that we can continue to host this podcast and create resources that help our communities develop good spiritual health. Welcome. So welcome back to another episode of Story Wagon, everybody. Um, today we have uh, a very interesting episode. We have two doctors, medical doctors, who uh, specialize in family medicine. And uh, the first guest that I have, her name is Dr. Lindsay Williams. And then I also have a Dr. Aaron Locke with us. And of course, we have our co-host with us, Reverend Amy Shoemaker. So I just want to welcome everybody to this conversation. Let's let's go ahead and just start off with the conversation of who who are you? Uh, let's let's start with you, Doctor Williams. Uh, what who are you? What are you about? Where do you you know where do you practice at? Yeah, my name is Lindsay Williams. I am a Kansas City native, born and raised. I tried to get away from Kansas City for college and medical school and residency, and I never could get away. And I found out that I think it's because I'm supposed to be here. Oh. I really love Kansas City. Um, and so I went to KU Med and then I went to residency in Kansas City. And I spent three years working in a rural critical access hospital in Missouri. And then just recently I, re- I moved back to Kansas City um, in, February, in de- December I started working um, at St. Luke's Hospital um, um, for their health system. I'm a family, family physician. I do all outpatient work. When I was doing rural medicine, I did work in the ER. I sometimes run with patients in the hospital. I work in the clinic. I took care of nursing home patients. And um, so that transition was was um, a big transition, but it's definitely something I I intentionally looked for. I definitely wanted to take a step back at some of my responsibilities and focus on one area. Um, yeah, I, I've been in Kansas City, been living here. I relocated, like I said, back in um, December. Um, we just bought a house, just got a new dog. I'm married. <laughs> <laughs> I think that pretty much sums things up. Well, thank Congratulations. you. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Dr. Locke? Uh, so my story, um, I am a Kansas native. I actually grew up in a small town in Northwest Kansas. Um, I did, uh, leave the state for undergrad, but I came back for medical school and have had the privilege to be Lindsay's friend since medical school. (laughs) Um, I currently practice in a small rural hospital in Northeast Kansas where I'm still doing broad spectrum medicine, both in the critical access hospital and rural health clinic. Um, Soon I will be moving to the Kansas City area and have yet to figure out exactly what my role will be. Um, I also have a master's in public health. And so I know that what I would like to do is going to be more in the public health and equity uh, work. Um, my particular interests are uh, climate related and, and the impacts that that will have on health equity. And so I can't tell you exactly what I'll be doing, but that's my interest. So wow. um, I, I also did, I recently uh, was married about a month ago, had to make Yay! some changes. Yeah, <laughs> had to make <laughs> some changes because of COVID. It did not look at all like what I had initially planned uh, to have that look. Um, but, uh, that is sort of my recent, uh, life update. So that's, that's a little about me. Excellent. Well, thank cool. you. Cool. I'm curious. I'm curious. Uh, I'm curious about why you do the work you do. I know that's kind of a big, broad question, but like maybe more specifically, um, what drew you to medicine or what, what is it that motivates you and keeps you going? Something along those lines. What's, what's. What's behind your your work? Do you want to go first, Erin, or do you want me to go? <laughs> I just want to say that Erin and I, we met in, um, I think it was our third year, was it our third year of medical school? Our third year of medical school, and we bonded over 
um, our surgery rotation. Um, we cried a lot of times in the locker room because the tinnies were really mean. <laughs> and <laughs> Aaron was one of the most brilliant and gracious people I know. Um, she was actually the valedictorian of our medical school oh. class. And she, and she's a super humble and awesome. And we went to, um, we really bonded when we went backpacking through Europe. Um, that was our present to ourselves after we graduated from medical school. That's a complete tangent, but I am. Um, I appreciate and love you, Aaron. You're my friend. I'm glad that we can do a podcast together. <laughs> well, I, um, I remember that trip uh, so well because um, listeners to the podcast will not know um, because they're listening, but uh, Lindsay is black and I am white. And I think it's important to acknowledge and center that um, in, in 2020 because of um, and acknowledge um, our racism in, in this country. Um, Lindsay will will always um, talk about uh, just my my medical school grades, you know, because she <laughs> always lifts me up. Um, but I have, through our friendship, um, learned so much more from Lindsay than um, I ever learned in medical school. I would say, um, and so I, in particular, that that trip, um, I learned so much from Lindsay in our in our deep discussions, um, and and that was. I would say the beginning of my education about race. Um, and I think that actually kind of goes nicely into what keeps me going in, in our work. Um, I think that for me, being a doctor is very difficult actually. Um, there's so much injustice in our country, so much um, inequality. Um, we see it very much in in the work that we do as as physicians, um, which I think we we suffer as physicians across the board from the moral injury. You talk about moral injury. We see that every day. Um, but I think that we also have such a privilege as physicians to be able to have hands on an ability to try to correct that. Um, in small ways every day directly with our patients. And so um, that is, I think, what keeps me going. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, that that would be my, my uh, sort of a roundabout tangential response to your question. <laughs> Lindsay, yeah. do you have anything more you'd like to add? Yeah, sure. Um, I am a... You know, um, when thinking about all your different identities, the first identity I identify with, out of all the identities I have, you know, female, black, Christian, 30 something, whatever, the very first identity, American, very first identity that I, heterosexual, whatever. First identity that I, you know, that impacts me the most right now is my black identity and has for a long time. And, um, and so oftentimes my, my passion lies at the intersection between racism and health and, um, where, what I can do or, you know, right now I'm trying to, I've for a long time, I've been trying to, um, find a way to, um, address that in my work. And when I say address that, I, I want to super cliche, but, you know, I want to contribute and, um, re, you know, make, make things better for my people and my community. Um, and it's, it's just the more I learn and read about racism in America and how, um, it impacts black and brown people. Um, the more sometimes, um, insurmountable a problem, it seems sometimes, makes me just want to bury my head in the sand. I find that the work can be really, um, it's, it's really hard, you know, just to find out how I can fit in and how I can, and how I can help. Um, in terms of just like what I do on an everyday basis, obviously, you know, when I walk into my clinic and I see, um, I take care of my black patients, I make sure that I, my number one priority is to listen, is to show compassion. People could care less if you have the right answer. 
if you have the right answer but lack compassion, they, it, 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 you, you still haven't done them a whole lot of, a whole lot of good. And so specifically for my, my black patients who the black community, we just have a really long history of being traumatized by Western medicine and um, by just in, in general in the medical field. I try to do my part to um, to listen and to be and to do right by them. Mm. I think that's so. I want to say on that. Yeah, that's so amazing to hear your stories. And when you use the word tangential, I I don't think it is. I think it's all interconnected. Because uh, you know when when I hear your stories, I'm hearing uh, the the practice of call and discernment. I hear the practice of pilgrimage when you went to your backpacking European tour sort of thing. Uh, just and then, you know, there's a sense of, uh, well, again, sense of calling and purpose in your life uh, for what you're doing. And, you know, there's a, uh, a sense of mission. Right. And, you know, whether you are, you know, prescribed to Christian faith or any other faith tradition, you know, you have this call as a doctor to serve your community. And it's just so beautiful to see. And that in itself, I hope people will see this is a, that's a spiritual act, you know, and, you know, and when we're looking at it, when it comes to uh, spiritual health, you know, like you, you, you all went through that, that kind of like search and call and discernment, uh, the, the pilgrimage and, and, and the Sabbath, uh, resting, you know, from, from your trials and tribulations from medical school, (laughs) Uh, and then yeah. co- coming back into uh, uh, your practice in uh, in the hospital systems, and where you see a lot of injustice and uh, racism, even though you know uh, individuals may not want to do that, it is just it's just the way the system was created. So you're you're seeing yeah. this systemic injustice happening, uh, people right. not having access to care and. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, not receiving the proper care, you know, certain things. Uh, we see that a lot uh, at the hospital system I work at. You know, we're, we're a safety net hospital. So we, we see people who haven't received any kind of care for a long time because they thought, you know, I, I don't have the right to receive care. Well, you do, you know, uh, this is a right. You have, you have rights uh, here in this country and in our city, our beautiful city of Kansas City, uh, to be treated uh, with dignity. And honor and respect and so uh you know that's what we're trying to do so when kind of going into that you know kind of framing that in, as a spiritual journey for you all what what do you see spirituality come into play at you know we talked about uh, uh moral injury but there's a lot of things that happen with trauma when you see trauma or people going through grief and bereavement if they have a drastic change in their life uh, what is your perspective as a medical professional uh, on the spiritual health uh, dimension of health? You go first, Aaron. <laughs> Are you talking, may I, I'd like to clarify that. Are you talking about that for providers, like for us, our spiritual health or for mm-hmm. our patients? Both and, you know, like, um, you know, uh, what are some of the things that you see that if you a, per, a patient came in they had like a drastic change in their life. Uh, let's say they have stage four cancer of an aggressive cancer and they only have a few months to live, you know, so to speak. There's going to be a, a deep grieving there. It's an acute, uh, you know, tra- traumatic experience right then and there, you know. So how would you kind of help them through that process? And how does your own spirituality kind of play into that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we think of the spiritual health so I think of that spiritual health and that balance um, as being like that physical, that mental, emotional, and social, I guess, you know, that mm-hmm. that that holistic with the patient. And so I think the patient themselves, they get to define what that is for them. In the example that you provided um, with the cancer diagnosis, a lot of times it it involves a lot of listening um, about what is meaningful for that patient. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I have some patients that um, have been cut off from their families for a long time, and now what it, what they want is that social aspect to be with their family. 
Um, for some, it would be to be back in a certain place, which would be more physical, I think. Um, they want to return to um, their home again. They don't want to be in the hospital setting. They just want to be home. They some For some, it, there's they've done something in their life to somebody that they now need to make right again. I would, I would put that in the category of like a mental or emotional. Um, so I think for a lot of people, it's about trying to figure out how to get them back into balance again, how to right a wrong or to, or to answer a need. And, and I guess it all kind of goes back to, to listening, which I think you guys have touched on before. Um, and that's what the role of the chaplain is for so often. We do not have a chaplain um, in our hospital. It's too small. We do bring in, like if they belong to a religious um, organization or, or something that is important to them in our community, we will bring them in. We do have social work. A lot of times I do that work myself, especially if I have a relationship with them over time. We've also just seen seen it play out over the, the pandemic. A lot, of, a lot of people, a lot of patients have been experiencing moral injury in lots of different ways. Spiritual balance has... Uh, spiritual health has been thrown off um, as people have been cut off from uh, their social networks, from the places that they normally would go, and and mental health has struggled. And so a lot of what we've been trying to do is just to be that. What I've tried to do, I guess, is just try to listen to my patients and try to meet their needs in whatever way I can. Um, but, uh, but then I also experience some moral injury when I can't do that and or can't help. So there's like a cascade effect, I think. Lindsay, what what would you like to add? Yeah, um, I agree with everything you said. I was thinking about, before we started the podcast, I was telling um, Jose and Amy that um, I feel really, my spiritual health has been something that I've neglected. And even though I've grown up in a, I've grown up a Baptist church and I still see myself as Christian. I know that there's something deeper that's missing. There's a connection that's deeper that's missing. And I find that in the midst of a, the pandemic and the, the racial, the, the flagrant racism exhibited by our president and by many of his supporters, the, and just the, the racial trauma I've experienced on the news, the, just the just the lack of um, care and concern it seems like people have to protect each other to even prevent the spread of disease not having that connection i think has been made everything even more difficult in terms of assisting my um patients and talking about spiritual health you know when my patients go through a a, a tough time. Like I, I think about times where I've, I've had couples who were homeless for their period of time. I've had a couple that was homeless for a period of time and walking through the struggles they had, or I've had a huge uptick in patients who have underlying mental health illness and they've had huge um, just ex- exacerbations mm. of their illnesses and coming to my office and they are basically, you know, having hallucinations or delusions and they're anxious and, you know, manic and they can't get in to see a mental health professional because they're swamped, you know, it's taking months to get in. And I have what, you know, at most 30 minutes with them at at that point in time. And, um, in situations like that, you know, I, I literally just do what I can. I do what I can, and I do it with as much compassion as I can. So, you know, with a couple that was struggling with homelessness, you know, reaching out to them and checking on them, giving them my cell phone number, reaching out and checking to them periodically and being like, hey, is there anything you need? What What's going on? Or with uh, my patients who are having like flare-ups of mental illness, you know, calling in favors and um, talking to um, texting psychiatrists that I know and being like, hey, I don't know what to do. What do you recommend I do? What can I, what can I do to help this person out? And helping them however I can and then bring them in frequently. In terms of, you know, talking to them about 
your spirituality that I haven't, haven't done that. But um, I, like you said, Jose, I feel like everything's connected. And when they come to me in an acute crisis, I do what I can to, to address their acute crisis. And um, I think that's going to help them help their entire being, including their spiritual health too. Yeah. So that's what I have to say about that. I know that I experienced a deep moral injury this summer. Um, I could, when it hit its its peak, it was like in August when I had to make changes. And, you know, one of the kind of definitions of moral injury is like betrayal. Mm-hmm. And I was feeling extremely betrayed by sort of the leadership in, in our country and and sort of it, what Lindsay was touching on is like just how people were behaving. You know, I, I, I felt like I was, I felt let down, you know, my, my hospital has not been able to get PPE supplies. Um, we're still in like crisis mode as far as masks and, and that sort of thing. People don't seem to understand that and the way that leadership has, has acted and, and the way some of my patients will come in and say that to me, when the election's over, this pandemic will disappear. That to me is, is uh, very personal. Mm. And I was beginning to experience that um, on a very personal injur- injurious level. And to the point that I, I was really burning out. I had, I'd canceled all my, my vacation in the spring because of the pandemic and it was just getting to be too much. And so I, um, I had to make some pretty serious changes so just speaking on my personal level, I would then add, this is now me speaking for Lindsay. So Lindsay, you can correct me where I go wrong. I would add that Lindsay has also suffered not from not just from that moral injury, but from a second moral injury, which is when Mr. Floyd was killed. She is, oh, yeah. as a black woman, suffered and has suffered the moral injury of being a black person in this country. So I can't even imagine. I've suffered a different type of moral injury, which is to be white and to see my white Americans acting this way. That hurts too, Mm -hmm. but it's not the same as what you have gone through. So it doesn't surprise me. And I'm speaking to you now, Lindsay, through the podcast. It doesn't surprise Mm -hmm. me that your spiritual health is suffering. I don't know how you are doing as well as you're doing, actually. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't think I am doing as well as I would like to. (laughs) Honestly, I think the thing that really hurts are um, people you built relationships with. And um, people, I've, I've built relationships with people and, um, you know, people that, you know, when I say people, I mean, work colleagues, I mean, um, people in the community that I've met in my position as a physician, um, patients, um, you build relationships with people and they, you realize they really, um, don't see you because if they really saw you, they would understand how hurtful it is every single time I drive past a Trump Pence sign in their yard mm-hmm. or see a Trump flag flying in their yard or to see a Confederate flag flying, like it's, it's this really painful. Right. And um, I've had to step away from relationships or distance myself from relationships because I realized that um, I don't, I, I can't withstand the emotional labor to explain that to them. And if they don't get it or don't see it, or they just, you know, continue to ignore it in the midst of all the evidence, I, it's just not, I don't have the energy or capacity right. to take that on. Yeah. And so I just excuse myself from, or I've distanced myself from a lot of those relationships. Yeah, there's a couple of things that, um, as I'm hearing your story, what I'm what I'm drawing from about moral injury. You know, the CDC did a, a study this past August 
talking about suicidal ideations and how they have been up, on an uptick uh, since the pandemic. You know, this is becoming a chronic thing now because uh, we're, we're going in, we're going to be probably be in this for a while. <laughs> and, and, and so they're, they're studying this. And so, uh, but they found that the ideation, suicidal ideations amongst healthcare professionals is drastically increased, you know, and I think it's what you're touching on is this moral injury of betrayal uh, from uh, from the leadership, you know, whether they see as the overall U.S. government or their hospital system not being able to provide the PPE and they're not being able to provide the quality care that they need for their patients. And, uh, and just seeing that kind of, uh, well, I can only imagine what happened in New York with th- those amount of numbers and feeling kind of like helpless to really intervene and save people's lives you know especially if your calling is to physically save people's lives you know what what kind of moral injury is a person in the healthcare field feeling you know nurses doctors techs you know i would even say the evs uh you know i i, I tell people our environmental services folks if if there's no environmental services there's no clean spaces there's not going to be mm-hmm. any procedures you know sort of thing so Everybody mm-hmm. in the whole hospital system is affected by this. Number two, uh, on top of this chronic trauma, collective trauma that we're going through with the epidemic, we're seeing the acute trauma of you know um, people of color getting shot down by authority figures, and, and this is causing a, an acute traumatic experience for those who are seeing this. I would even say uh, those in the majority culture uh, when they see this, it's affecting them, you know, but not as deeply as a person of color. And so when, when people of color are not be, feel, feeling like they're not being heard, of course, there's this sense of betrayal, you know, in this whole thing. So it's like uh, cumulative. We're talking about yeah. cumulative moral injury on top of cu- cumulative traumatic experiences. And it's just, it, it's just causing this huge amount of bubble of grief, you know, that's why we're trying to bring out this conversation out because this is a spiritual dimension issue on top of the mental health dimension on top of the emotional health on top of the social uh, and relational health and then it impacts Mm -hmm. the environmental health and impacts the uh you know financial health it impacts all these dimensions that we have in health and i think that's Mm -hmm. why we see so many people in our country on edge at the end of the rope and you know we need to hit this at all angles. <laughs> yeah. Know? Agreed. Yeah. And it's really easy for, a, I, I feel like in a lot of the mentality of a lot of people, it's easy to think about body, mind, heart, spirit as separate things. Okay. I take my body to the gym. I take my soul to church. I take my mind to school or to a documentary or whatever but really we don't have experiences outside of our bodies Mm. and everything that we experience has an impact on our whole selves. And I'm, I'm noticing myself like, (laughs) you know, how I felt in March is very different from how I feel now in October, meaning, you know, at the beginning of this, people were saying, oh, it'll be a couple of months. I was like, do you know how viruses work? Like, <laughs> do you have any idea? Like, this isn't going to be a couple of months. Like, Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and so like this, like, I feel like we're having to come up with new, like, spiritual technologies right now. Um, mm-hmm. New technologies inside of ourselves for dealing with what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, because there isn't a book. You can't read a book and learn how to navigate all of this. You don't, they don't teach it in seminary. They don't teach it in medical school. Like Mm. we are in uncharted territory and we're having to build the airplane while we're flying the airplane for ourselves and our own self-care and our own resiliency. Um, And so, you know, I'm curious for the two of you, what, what is helping the most right now? What is, what is like, it can be something as small as like my cup of coffee in the morning or, mm-hmm. you know, snuggling my dog or, you know, like it can be a big thing like my vacation. What, what is it that's really, really supporting you? 
I can answer that if you'd like me to go first, Linz. Um, yeah, go for it. I was, I finally realized that um, I was so full. I, you know, I referred to kind of maybe early August when I reached kind of my, my point. Um, and I realized that I was so kind of full of anger and that anger was just shooting out in like all different directions, but mostly it was coming back kind of at myself and it was very unhelpful and it was a lot of wasted energy uh, that was wasting a lot of time. And I finally was like, I am going to harness this anger and this energy and I, I don't have a lot of free time and I don't want to waste it. I really want to, you know, I've tried to visualize like channeling it all in one direction, like this powerful arrow, I guess, is, is maybe the image that was in my mind. So I made the decision that I was going to actually limit my screen time, which included social media. So I got off of social media um, and I'm limiting like, you know, TV and movie time and stuff. Um, and then I decided to put more of that activity or that time into um, actually like volunteer work and um, which at this point in time is actually towards campaigns for people that I believe in um, for the election, um, but also for some uh, organizations like in Kansas City. Uh, so that is kind of like the biggest thing that has helped me was like the simultaneous uh, freeing up of time that I was wasting, um, just getting mad at people that I, that I looking back on were just like hurting me. You know, I was just like leaning into that hurt um, and I cut them off and I took that free time and I put it into something that's actually useful and is going to do some good. I think um, there's, I have other things that I am doing, but that's the, best thing that I did for myself. Yeah, thank you. I feel like I've like hunkered down and just have gone completely internal. I am uh, at the outset of this pandemic, at the start of the pandemic, outset, whatever, whatever word, put it there. <laughs> at the start of the pandemic, um, I was very, very, um, busy. I started a, um, you know, I really involved in a um, community organization in Kansas City regarding race and economic equity. This organization I know, um, you know, Aaron's in it, Amy's in it. Um, I started a YouTube channel where I, you know, taught yoga. Um, I had just gotten back from a month long trip in Morocco, you know, doing a yoga teacher course. I just started a new job. Um, and I was, you know, still, it still am still moonlighting um, at a second job, spending time with a lot of friends, um, you know, going out, hanging out, just really, really busy, just busy, busy. I'm really good at using every single second of the day. And um, in the last couple months, I found that I um, I was showing signs of depression. Like there's like something called the PHQ-9 or PHQ-2. It's like the screening question for depression. Like the first two questions are, in the last two weeks, have you felt down or depressed and in the last two weeks and you lost interest in the things you like to do and I was a resounding yes on all of them I literally didn't have the energy to follow through on responsibilities I needed to mm. like I, I I just didn't have it and um and I, I and I realized that I just I just and so to answer your questions what have I done I basically I've said no to everything <laughs> everything I mean, and with the pandemic, it's been a little bit easier to say no, because obviously we're not going out in group settings and hanging out with people. But, you know, a lot of the community organizing that I did, I've, I've, I've had to take a step back from. Um, I stopped posting videos on my yoga, yoga channel. 
I, um, I literally, what I do is I get up, I exercise because that's what keeps me happy and sane. I go to work because that's what keeps me financially solvent. And then I, I come home and I hang out with my husband and we make sure I eat, we eat food. And I, I do just, I do what I need to, to survive and make it. And that's, I've, I've come to peace that that is enough and that's okay. Um, it used to be where if I wasn't doing a million things, I felt like I wasn't doing enough. And I've gotten to the point where um, I, I recognize I have limits and I need to respect those limits. And, you know, things might change, you know, six months from now, I might be that, be in a, a better place. But right now I, I you know, I, I need to take a, take seriously what's, what's going on inside of me and, and around me in the world. And I have to respect that. And if I, you know, don't, if I ignore all, you know, all those signs, then I will, um, you know, I it's going to get to the point where I won't be able to get out of bed and function, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm doing what I need to do to stay. I'm, I'm, you know, taking one day at a time. Amen to that. One day at a time. Yes. Thank you. Thank you both so much for your, your honesty and your vulnerability in this space. I really, really appreciate that. Yeah. And I, I think, think it's so easy for us to be like, Oh, we'll get through it. It'll be okay. Like we don't know. Right. Yeah. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. All we have is this moment right here. And I can choose to take care of myself in this moment, or I can choose to kick my care down the road Mm. and Mm -hmm. neglect myself. Mm. Um, And it's, it can, it can be um, really hard to change those like internal narratives of like, you know, but I like to get things done. And it's like, but I can't right now. Right. Yeah, yeah, I really, it's, I feel like for those of us who are used to having very full plates, it's like all of a sudden we're just like, okay, I have this one little side dish on my plate and I'm good with. Yes. Like, <laughs> yes. Let me just get, let me just scale back. Let me right. Take and honestly, everything. I wouldn't even have it on there if I didn't need to, but I need to, I need to stay paid. So uh, yep. <laughs> I better show yep. to work. Yeah. 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 So thank you. So I have a question because Amy, Amy brought this up about, you know, the body and there's like no separation from the body from everything else. And, uh, Amy's really big on like the body carrying, carrying everything, you know, and, and us not even realizing it. And so I'm wondering, uh, have you all noticed from your patient population of, things manifesting itself because of all this the trauma you know uh, in trauma-informed care we talk about aces you know adverse childhood events and how it carries on into our future and you know how they're uh, precursors to future health problems are you seeing anything right now due to either the pandemic or all the other stressors that are occurring at the same time yes um i mean I've seen uh, just with worsening depression, I've seen that patients have not been caring for themselves. Um, They stop taking their medications or um, they don't eat as well, or, you know, it just worsening depression in general just can worsen health outcomes. I've seen that with particularly in older adults who are cut off from their families a little bit more, health declines. And that declines in in sort of ways that are harder to point to. But one very easy way to point to is that some family members who would routinely go to the their loved one's home to set their medications out, um, I've seen very specific examples where that stopped. And then now my patients aren't getting their medications the way that they were, and that has led to complications. I have had patients who have had like um, like sexual assault experiences that I discover only when they have abdominal pain months later. It's you know it's a somatic symptom that manifests later. Stress shows up as high blood pressure. We carry uh, stress in our shoulders that shows up as headaches. 
what are some other examples? I think I, I picked a lot of easy, low-hanging fruit lens. Can you pick <laughs> some others? Um, I agree with everything you said. Um, I think I there's a statistic that I heard. I can't, can't tell you where I heard it from, but something like 75% of Americans have gained an average of 16 pounds since the stay-at-home order. And that's real. Um, it has huge implications for your health. And, you know, and it's a lot of times people will come in and say, I'm eating the same amount and I don't know why I'm getting weight. I'm like, you know what, you're right. But if you think about it, instead of you walking into the office, instead of you walking around, you know, walking up from your desk and filling up your coffee or walking to that meeting or, you know, walking down the hallway to get lunch, you'll, I mean, we literally, a lot of people now sitting in front of their, their computer for eight hours straight, you know, 12 hours straight. And so, um, there's a huge reduction in activity levels, um, you know, which leads to health impacts outside of weight gain, you know, include depressed mood, things like that. Um, but yeah, I agree to everything else you said. I mean, I, the huge, the most pr- obvious is just the mental health people who have really bad OCD and this pandemic is th- really making it really tough for them. Um, anxiety, depression, I mean, everything, everything. Um, in terms of mental health is exacerbated and then it's really putting um, a strain on resources that were already limited to begin with. Yeah. I, wow. You, you all are just laying this out just like how yeah. widespread this mm-hmm. is. Yeah. And also the alcohol in the increase in alcohol consumption too. Absolutely. I don't remember, I don't remember what the specific statistic is on that, but it was, it was a, a significant increase in, uh, in sales of alcohol and consumption of alcohol, um, right. which is a depressant and it's additional sugars and additional calories. And, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, um, not always something that we immediately think of as a contributor to like depression and weight gain, but you know, it absolutely can be. And so, um, yeah. but like what, you know, again, we don't have the coping skills for this. Like this is a new thing. We don't, so we're just reaching for whatever little comforts we can because we don't have access to the number one source of comfort, which is each other. And that physical person to person, body to body, skin to skin kind of contact. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we're just, I'm just starting to see now like um, journalists covering the impact of isolation in nursing homes and different things like that. And so my hope is that we will have a better understanding of just how much we need each other and Mm -hmm. just how much loving connection in physical form is essential to who we are as people. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and Dr. Lindsay, you, you brought up another a thing was uh, this boundaries, saying no to things and things like that. I, <laughs> I gave a presentation to uh, my Air National Guard unit about burnout, um, you know, with the work, you know, being at home, you know, the office and the workplace is just mumbled right now. Uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, burnout vocational burnout on that aspect but i'm also telling them hey there's this thing called familial burnout you know uh if you have kids and you're trying to work and they're trying to get on online school and this and that and the other thing there's familial burnout and to me mm-hmm. you know like i see also a lot with the, with the cdc report uh there's a higher uptick of domestic violence you know mm-hmm. and so um the podcast isn't out yet uh but i've interviewed somebody that that we we talk about the intimate partner violence and the domestic violence increasing because of covid19 you know keeping everybody close together with all the stressors in their lives from work from school from all the other things that they must maintain in order to maintain that living uh and Mm -hmm. it's causing a lot of friction and burnout yeah thank you all for this conversation it's really um it's really helpful to to hear these different perspectives and to know that 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 we're 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 still in it <laughs> like yeah. you know like from the news and stuff it's just kind of like mm, oh that's a thing that's happening you know <laughs> and it's like it's a major it's a it's still a global crisis mm-hmm. and um we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring and 
sometimes the best thing we can do is just to be present. And so that's just to kind of touch on some of the things I'm hearing is some of these um, self-care tactics and sort of spiritual technologies that we're drawing on um, our boundaries, noticing what media we're consuming and how that makes us feel, and then limiting <laughs> limiting that and putting that time into feeling like you're making a difference in the world, yeah. um, feeling like you're actually helping to change the system. And then, you know, finding points of contact with people in whatever ways that we can, um, prioritizing our physical health and recognizing that food is, is, is medicine. <laughs> um, and that's a really important piece of our self-care. So yeah, thank you for all of this that you've offered to us. It's really, really wonderful. And I just personally, if there's anything I can do to support either of you as you're moving through all of this, um, please let me know. I think Jose would echo that sentiment um, because we can't get through this without each other. Right. Absolutely. Stephanie. Thank you. I, pre and I appreciate, thank you for having us. I really appreciate the time to unpack a lot of the things that we talked about. Right. So, Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, we're so glad that you could do it on here. Also, just just to show that, you know, we're even though we're professionals and we're in this field, uh, the medical field, the spiritual health field, uh, we still are vulnerable ourselves, you know, and it's just yeah. good to show people that vulnerability. So I have a question for you all. Yeah. What what do you hope for in 2021? Like as we are approaching <laughs> 2021, what do you hope for? <laughs> What is your future story? The very story? thing I thought was, am I going to regret anything I say? You know, like, <laughs> it's much now, or, you know, I'll be like, man, that was Pollyanna, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you go first, Erin. <laughs> what do I hope for in 2021? Um, I hope, because I'm a doctor, I guess I'll, I hope for healing. I hope that we begin the process of healing. Um, we are so hurt right now um, as a country, you know, uh, we talked about, we touched on like two of the moral injuries that we're suffering. You know, we can't, we can't um, ignore that there's the economic injury too that people are suffering from. Um, and I suspect that's just, we're gonna start to see that and the consequences of that even more in coming months. And so my hope is that we will start the process of, of dialogue and coming together and understanding and that we will start to make decisions from the top levels of government all the way down, um, both private and public, um, you know, in, in all, all of our everywhere. Um, that is beginning the processes of healing our country and and that are more equitable and just and and obviously that does not happen overnight um so it won't it won't be completed in 2021 but my hope is that we will have learned lessons from 2020 that we can then apply to 2021 to begin that process mm. so i guess that's my hope awesome I, I agree with Aaron. Um, I'm going to go a little what, myopic. It's myopic. It's like more small, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that word. Zooming in. Yeah, zooming in. I'm going to go a little more myopic. Um, um, I've been really, um, I in terms of my own family, no one has um, been um super ill from the from the COVID I, and you know six months from now I hope that we you know everyone still stays well um and I hope that we just continue to cleave to each other or cleave to each other more mm -hmm. I just want us to get on the other side of this when I say the other side of this I just want us to continue to make it through this sane and intact and healthy because that's, that's kind of my focus right now. It's just, you know, my small, my small little bubble of peace. And then, yeah, I, I, I hope for um, better things for this country. I, I've, I've become a little pessimistic, but I think that 
you have to maintain hope because otherwise, why are you giving up in the morning and going through the motions? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot big on my hope. Shoot, here. shoot big, Amy. Go for it. I'm gonna go big. Go big. Um, Lindsay just zoomed in. I'm gonna zoom out, and <laughs> I'm gonna call forth a reordering of values and priorities across our entire society in in which our communities are completely reordered so that care is at the center Mm. of our way of being with each other Mm. so that profit isn't even part of the conversation profit's not the not the focus not the goal it's not our purpose anymore our purpose for being here is caring for each other. That's what I'm hoping for. Amen in that. Yeah. This society I'd like to live in. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Where we develop communities of care and compassion. That is so awesome. Well, uh, we are at the end of time. Uh, <laughs> last question. For, Sorry, okay. No, no, it's great. It's great. No, no, it's great. It's perfect. Um, <laughs> If, if there are people out there, do you, do you all have websites that um, people can connect with you on? Um, not really. I mean, like I have a, my little YouTube channel. I haven't posted on in months, but that's about it. Oh, okay. Okay. No problem. <laughs> I have a Twitter account that I am not checking okay. right now. Okay. No, no, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and, and you know that this is the case of it is, you know. So if people ever up in uh, your guys's hospitals, then yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, but anyway. Uh, so thank you so much, uh, Lindsay and Aaron, for, for coming to us and sharing your experience and sharing your expertise in your field and just allowing us to have this dialogue and this conversation. Uh, and I hope it, it not only is helpful to you, but hopefully it's helpful to the listeners. So uh, so thank you for coming on. Amy, of course, thank you for co-hosting with me. You know, you're always awesome. Back <laughs> at you. <laughs> thank you so much. All right. Thank you. We'll see you next time. And on that note, we'll call that a wrap for this episode of Story Wagon. I want to thank you, the listener, for supporting us and listening to this episode. And if you want, please follow us on any social media platform and type in Story Wagon. You can also visit us at our website, storywagon.org. And so, with that, this is Chaplain Jose Martinez wishing you good spiritual health.